The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of the Lord. When you're from the Midwest, you might be used to a certain saying, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. <laughs> Seems especially true this morning. Now in biblical studies, I think a similar concept applies. If you don't like the reading, wait five verses. Or in the case of our gospel reading today, if you do like the reading, well, just you wait. <laughs> right? Just last week, we heard these words of great comfort and promise from Jesus. Have no fear, little flock. Today, that little flock seems to be given every reason to fear with these threats of fire and division. How quickly we've gone from that meek and mild Jesus that we're so accustomed to, to this fiery and furious Jesus that we would prefer to just gloss on over. So what are we to make of this fiery and furious Jesus? This hardly feels like the babe in Bethlehem that we left earlier in Luke's gospel, Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, asleep on the hay, no crying he makes. No, this is full-on temper tantrum, terrible twos, but all grown up, Jesus. We're not so much used to this, Jesus, and we don't seem to know what to do with passages like this. But it's not like Luke hasn't been giving us clues all along. Maybe we just aren't very good at piecing them together. So this is the child first that Mary sang of in her Magnificat, right, before Jesus was born, who would scatter the proud, bring down the powerful, lift up the lowly, and fill the hungry. This is the child that Simeon spoke of at Jesus's presentation in the temple, the child who would be destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel. And then John the Baptist got even a little more precise 
when he said to his followers that the one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And all of this before the adult Jesus ever makes an appearance. And when he does, remember that little story in his hometown synagogue when the crowds are ready to throw him off a cliff when he's barely begun his ministry? So what if we actually have it backwards? What if that meek and mild Jesus that we're so used to is more the anomaly and the outlier? And this fiery and furious Jesus is more the norm. A Jesus who shakes things up. Do you think that I have come to bring peace? Or maybe a better word, do you think that I have come to bring harmony? Literally, the absence of conflict? No. Jesus will bring conflict and division. The gospel of the Lord. But we know that being a follower of Jesus was and is risky business, right? In the first century world, early converts to this new thing that was happening in Judaism disrupted their families and social circles of fellow devout Jews by following this breakaway rogue sect, maybe even like a cult in their minds. And like those in the early church, we know what it's like to have families that are divided by religion or other differences in beliefs. It's awkward and even tense at times. Just imagine the proverbial Thanksgiving dinner table. And still today, it's not exactly popular to be Christian in an increasingly secular world, or religious, really, of any kind. There's a lot more that competes for our attention on Sunday mornings. And even beyond that, some perceive Christianity's message to be outdated or even backwards in its thinking. And institutionally, the church, as we know it, is dying. The numbers speak for themselves. It's undeniable. Why would anyone want to be a part of that? This is a really great evangelism sermon, isn't it? But even within church walls, there's division. Some say, oh, you're not Christian enough, to which others respond, oh, you're too Christian, or you're the wrong kind of Christian, or you vote the wrong way so you can't possibly be Christian. More often than not, it seems like we're the ones doing the dividing. I hardly think that more denominations and internal factions were exactly what Jesus had in mind for his followers and his church. But still, he speaks of division. So what exactly is he talking about? I think, for starters, Jesus recognized that his own ministry wasn't exactly the most popular. And so he warns his followers, following me isn't going to be easy. It's going to make divisions among you. It's going to cut you off from other people at times. 
If Jesus' message was popular and well-received, it wouldn't have gotten him killed for it. But as it is, his message of reversals, going back to Mary's song, right? His message was threatening and divisive. His was a message that reached out to the very edges of society, crossing divisions that we had set up, reaching out to the sick and the unclean and the demon-possessed and ethnic and gender minorities in his day with a word of healing and hope and freedom that God is for them too. We might even say that Jesus was fired up, right? Fed up with the way that things were around him, seeing so much suffering in his world. Fed up enough and fired up to do something about it. I came to bring fire. Now, fire, we know, can mean many different things. It can be destructive, wiping out an entire home in what feels like an instant, or bringing devastation to whole forests and natural habitats, as we've seen with wildfires in California. But fire can also give warmth and lights. It can be a source of energy to cook our food. Just ask our boundary waters travelers, right? The importance of fire for their journey. But there's a third use to fire that I think is useful here. Fire can also be purifying and refining. Fire transforms something into something else. Like a potter's creation brought to life in the heat of the kiln. There's much in our world that needs purifying and refining and transforming, so much that we wish could be different from the way things are. We hardly have to turn on the news to believe that. And so maybe Jesus' fire kindling is exactly what we need. Now, we've also come to associate fire with the Holy Spirit, right? We think of Pentecost and the tongues of fire that descended on the disciples. Oftentimes, on our paraments and our uh, vestments for Pentecost, we have fire, and it's fiery red. But the Holy Spirit comes to us as this third person of the Trinity who's concerned with Ah, this work of sanctification, which is really just a big theological word that means the act of making something holy. And holy, by one definition, simply means to be set apart. Right? In the small catechism, Luther reminds us that it is the Holy Spirit who calls and gathers and enlightens and makes us holy as the church. And if we're made holy or set apart, it's for a purpose, right? So in this passage, Jesus brings fire to set us apart in this weird and wondrous calling that we have as members of God's church. As followers of Jesus, we are called, like Jesus, to be fired up. 
Now, we know we can get fired up about a lot of things, some of them not so helpful. In an age of near-constant social connection and near-constant news streams that come to us on our phones and our tablets and our newspapers and our TV screens, we often respond with knee-jerk reactions that aren't always helpful, reactions that are harmful and end up creating more divisions. I, however, prefer to take my cue from musical theater. After being lucky enough to see Hamilton in Chicago within the past week, has anyone seen Hamilton yet? Okay, so for those of you who haven't, I don't think I'm giving too much away, and it's coming to Milwaukee soon, I hear. Uh, but from the very beginning, Alexander Hamilton, right, also a historic figure, so if you know your history, uh, some of this will sound familiar. He's portrayed as this young, scrappy, eager, rising politician in the early days of the Revolutionary War in the British colonies. And he's fired up about independence, though his chief rival, Aaron Burr, who would go on to become Jefferson's vice president, advises him to tone it down a little bit, right? As this seasoned politician giving advice to a younger one. Talk less, smile more, he advises, and it will get you a whole lot farther. But that doesn't stop Hamilton, right? He's fired up. He's not throwing away his shot as one song in the musical says. And he's going to shake things up, right? He's going to make a name for himself and for his friends in this journey. Hamilton won't settle for false unity and peace at the expense of backing down from the cause of freedom. Now, at the risk of drawing too many parallels between Hamilton and Jesus, because that does get problematic down the road, I think at the core, that's our invitation to talk more, get fired up. We have good news worth sharing. The spirit who descends like tongues of fire and burns within our hearts calls us into mission in the world. There's work to be done, and there's no time to back down. We are God's people set apart to do God's holy work in the world, to reach out in love to our neighbors who are sick and hungry and suffering. This is our calling, to love people, all of them, no matter who they are, to care for them, to pray for them, to walk alongside them in all of life's ups and downs. This, too, is the root of what, Je of what gets Jesus fired up, right? The extravagant love of God for all people, no matter who they are, that overflows in abundance and a desire to share that love with all people, to meet them where they are, to reach out to them with healing, to preach the good news that God is for them. That's a tall order and a big mission to fulfill. But when it all seems impossible, it is good to be reminded that it is the Spirit who fires us up, 
It is the Spirit's fire that ignites and inspires us. It is the Spirit's fire that flickers in dark places to light the way when we need it. It is the Spirit's fire that warms us with God's eternal presence and promise to be with us always. And it is the Spirit's fire that empowers even us to fan the flames of God's love with the power to transform the world. Amen.